And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. Good morning and welcome to the Thursday edition. Second best day of the week. That's the best. Thursday's always the best day of the week. So that's the Real Investment Show this morning. Of course, uh, futures a little bit mixed this morning as the first real bailout occurs. And of course, you know, we had Silicon Valley Bank earlier this week. Of course, that was making headlines. But, you know, the the funding that went into, you know, kind of supporting deposits from the FDIC was not really a bailout. The first real bailout actually occurred last night, pretty much, with Credit Suisse, who has now gotten a $50 billion loan from the Swiss National Bank uh, to actually bail out that bank. So when you're taking money from the central bank, that is actually your form of the first bailout. So we have now officially bailed out the first bank in this process. So again, uh, futures were under a bit of pressure yesterday and, and uh, as well as the markets over concerns about Credit Suisse. Of course, the solving of that problem with, with uh, Swiss National Bank loaning money to Credit Suisse helped the market recover a bit from the lows yesterday. Now, what's important is we, you know, we keep talking about you know, kind of where the market is right now. And, and again, we reduced some risk further yesterday uh, simply because of this kind of accelerating bit of risk. We've got the markets. It's just kind of an opportunity just to step aside here. We'll figure out what the markets are going to do. And then we'll put some capital back to work. But right now, just there's so much turmoil, so much uncertainty. Um, you know, this is just one of those times it's best to have less risk than more. But again, we came down and retested those lows from December, um, holding those right now. Again, we're still trading below the 200-day moving average. We've been now below that moving average for four days. We need to be above that moving average by the close of business tomorrow if this downside break is going to be realized um, or official because again, you know, just a, a short break below a moving average, that's kind of your warning sign. If you stay below it, that's the problem. So we need to get back above this by the close on Friday. And if we don't, then we'll have a confirmed break of this 200-day moving average. And that suggests, not always, but suggests that downside pressure will remain on stocks. And again, you know, we talked about our MACD sell signal. That remains intact. That also suggests more downward pressure on prices right now. So, uh, and the 20-day moving average has also crossed down back below the 50-day moving average. That's the first time that's happened since really uh, back in, in kind of mid-December. So, again, doesn't th these aren't necessarily terrible things right now that suggest the market is definitely headed lower. That's not what this means at all. It just means that we've got some pressure on stocks near term. Of course, lots of negative headlines right now, you know, starting with Swiss, you know, uh, Silicon Valley Bank, then First Republic, now Credit Suisse. Question is, 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 are there more, as we said this before, when we first talked about Silicon Valley Bank, the question is, is was Silicon Valley Bank a roach or were there more roaches in the kitchen? Well, we found out there were more roaches in the kitchen. The question is, is are there more still, right? Or have we gotten most of them? And that's the question we don't know yet. But again, as I said, you know, markets, you know, markets are under pressure um, and after a fairly big run from those December lows, we've now given most of that back up. But again, the market really hasn't done anything terribly wrong. Uh, you know, again, we're, we're still holding support. We've been consolidating now, really uh, going all the way back to November. The market has just really traveled sideways. So despite all of the 
kind of early year, you know, excitement over the markets. We really haven't done a whole lot since November of last year. And, and really kind of going back further than that, you know, the, the market has, has been really kind of much more frustrating, I think, than anything else for investors because despite all of the negative headlines and concerns and everything else that's going on, you know, we have to go all the way back really to, you know, kind of May of last year, this market has really done nothing. Um, lots of volatility, lots of up and downs. We get excited about the Fed, they're gonna pivot and then the pivot doesn't happen, so we sell off again. But really, if we go back to May of last year, the market is exactly where it was in May of last year. So almost a year now, we've gone virtually nowhere. So, you know, again, this, is, this has been frustrating for investors because we're not making any money, but we're also not losing a lot of money here either. It's just markets aren't going anywhere. And that's the frustrating part. And it seems like things, because of headlines, are a lot worse than they actually are. But again, yeah, you know, things are, you know, lots of, lots of problems here. The Fed's hiking rates. We've got what's going on with Silicon Valley Bank. Certainly a lot of short-term volatility. But when we put things into perspective, and this is always the important thing about investing, is keeping some perspective on what's going on. And again, you know, day-to-day headlines. You know, I get a call from Charles Payne to come on the show, and we're going to talk about some immediate point of the day, you know, whatever's going on. And, you know, it's, it's, it's hard when, in that environment to not let your emotions take over what you're doing investing-wise. But again, when we have to step back, and this is why having some perspective is always important, is to step back and say, well, what has really happened in the markets over last year? Not a lot. <laughs> now, markets are lower than where we were, obviously, at the peak of the market. So, you know, if we go back to January of last year, we, you know, we were trading close to 4,800 on the S&P. Uh, obviously, we're at 3,900 now, so, you know, a thousand, almost a thousand point difference between the peak and where we are now. So definitely markets have been under pressure since January of last year. Markets are down. So I'm not saying that you haven't lost money in the markets. That's, that is part of it. But the thing to separate out is, is that again, going back to May of last year, market hasn't done anything. (laughs) And, And that's, you know, kind of an interesting sideline considering all of the negativity. I mean, if you just listen to all the videos out there, the world's coming to an end. We need to all be in a bunker. You know, you need to have all your money in gold and beanie weenies and ammo and then, you know, 10 day survival food packs and all that. Market's not done anything. <laughs> so, you know, that's just what I'm, I'm, I'm saying. You know, don't allow emotions to take over your investing structure overall because it actually winds up leading to to bigger losses than you would have had otherwise. None of this means, of course, that if we don't get, if we do get into a financial situation um, and if we do get into the point to where the banks are in more trouble and that there are more roaches in the kitchen, yes, markets can go lower, which is why we're reducing risk, right? We, we eliminated our financials, we eliminated basic materials and energy, et cetera, out of the portfolio because those are at risk of a recessionary slowdown. Now let's talk about that real quick. 3.2% growth in the first quarter. That's what the Atlanta Fed is estimating right now after the retail sales report yesterday that showed an unexpected increase in core retail sales. So again, the economy remains very strong, and this is going to be a conundrum for the Fed, something we'll talk about after the break. You know, the Fed's coming up their meeting next week. The big bet right now is what is the Fed going to do? Are they going to hike rates or not? 
right? That's that's a big question. Right now, there's about a 23% chance of a no-rate hike scenario for next week. 77% says yes, they will hike rates. And again, when you take a look at what's going on with the markets, again, when the Fed's looking at the markets, they're going, hmm, you know, not a lot going on here. And again, the Fed is looking at this market a little bit differently than you are. We've got to go back about three years in the markets. If you take a look at the market over the last three years, the markets are still uh, significantly higher than they were three years ago. We were at 2,400 on the S&P three years ago. We're now at 3,900. So when the Fed is looking at the term of the wealth effect in the markets, this decline that we've had from the peak has been very minor relative to the wealth effect overall within the economy. So when the Fed's looking at the, at the impact of the wealth effect and how that structures into economic growth, the Fed's going, hey, you know what? I don't have a lot of risk here to keep hiking rates. So again, it's all about perspective. We'll come back after the break. We'll talk a little bit about the Fed meeting next week and their perspective in particular as to what they may be looking at and what that decision might be. I don't know the answer, but we're going to try to guess that a little bit when we come back from the break. So don't go away. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. We'll be right back. Daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show YouTube channel has all our videos ready for your easy access. Now with the new and improved Before the Bell reports, Candid Coffee, and Lunch and Learn replays. Plus each day's radio show like Technically Speaking Tuesday, Financial Fitness Friday, and the latest analysis from Lance Roberts and Michael Leibowitz. Subscribe and bookmark our YouTube channel for The Real Investment Show. Or just click on the show links at realinvestmentadvice.com realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show so perspective is uh, a really important thing when it comes to investing and it's it's one of the things that is easy to lose in the midst of you know moment by moment headlines in the media right social media everywhere you look it's there's a ton of misinformation going out you know on banking structures and all that type of stuff so be careful what you read and where you get your resources from you know everybody with a TikTok account now is a financial expert um you know it's interesting to watch on TikTok all these people go live and and you know i don't i don't understand the the younger generation it's i was i was trying to talk to my son about this the other day um because he he fits into that i'm like you know all these people go live on social media and they'll have a live feed on TikTok in particular if you if you look at TikTok there you know you have the ability just to kind of go live but you can do that on Twitter with spaces and you can do a YouTube live, obviously, like we're doing right now. And, you know, people just open this stuff up and start rambling, you know, crazy stuff. And, you know, stuff that has no basis in, you know, economics or finance or whatever it is that they're talking about. Um, but people, you know, tune in and, and listen to this and then send these people money, you know. And, and so, you know. Maybe, maybe I'm doing it wrong. Nobody sends me money, but, you know, join my Patreon account and send me money. You know, join my Twitch, send me money. And so, you know, you know, all these people that have no money are sending money to people, you know, because they're 
online talking about stuff I guess that they're interested in. But, but the problem is that it's a lot of this information is just wrong. They're, you know, it's wrong about how the banks operate. It's wrong about what happened with the banks. It's wrong about the economic impacts on a variety of fronts. And, and I can tell you when somebody is listening to this stuff because I get emails going, I just heard so-and-so say this. And I'm like, that's not the way that works. That's not the way it works when, and again, getting a lot of questions about treasury bonds, et cetera, and just tons of really bad information that I'm getting from people going, oh, I heard so-and-so say this. And these are pretty prominent. And there's, there's some of these are coming from pretty prominent people that should know better. But again, you know, selling fear works. So if you're trying to sell a product, fear works great and uh, you can sell a good product. So, you know, it's important to have perspective. It's also important to have good facts and good information. Look, I'm not always right and I'm not claiming to be. I make mistakes just like everybody else. But, you know, and when I make a mistake, I'll tell you, hey, made a mistake. My wife never makes a mistake, but I make mistakes. And she's happy to remind me of that um, for like 30 years ago. <laughs> she reminds me of stuff that I did wrong before I even knew her. So, you know, there's, <laughs> you know, there's that. But when it comes to, you know, Brent's over here nodding his head going, yep, I know. <laughs> but when it comes to, you know, the environment that we're in, again, this is why I was saying, you know, when you look at your portfolio, the big mistake, and I'm, I'm going to get to the Fed here in one second, but the big mistake that investors make is they look at this calendar year return thing. You know, where where was I in January the 1st? Where am I now? And what, that has no relevance to what's going on with your money. Again, look at your portfolio over a two or three year period. Uh, longer is better. Because that gives you the trend and the direction of where you're going with your financial wealth. Look, nothing goes straight up. You're going to have bumps and bruises along the way. They, what you're trying to avoid is the, is the catastrophic hospitalization of your portfolio where you drive off into the ditch, right? That's what you're trying to avoid. So the little bumps and, and nicks and dings, those don't matter. And if you look at it over a two or three year period, you'll have a much better view about what's happening with your money in your portfolio, and it will help take some of the emotion out of your investing. Okay. Now, what does this all have to do with the Fed? Well, next week we've got the Fed. Everybody's talking about the Fed next week is like, oh my gosh, they need to cut rates next week. They are not going to cut rates next week. There's a couple of problems that the Fed is facing right now. And I'm actually writing about this in this, in, in this upcoming weekend's newsletter as well with all the attendant charts and graphs to go along with it. The Fed is scared to death of a repeat of the 1970s. In the 1970s, and really it's, it goes back into the 60s, there were repeated bouts of inflation. The Fed would hike rates, inflation would come down, the Fed would cut rates, and immediately inflation would return again. And it was kind of a wash, rinse, and repeat cycle until inflation really blew up in the late 70s because of the oil embargo. But there were plenty of cases before the oil. You know, everybody focuses on that one little moment in time of the oil, oil embargo where we had 15% inflation. But going before that, there were several periods of inflation where the Fed was fighting that. 
that was problematic. In fact, you know what? I, I uh, actually posted a chart on this this morning. Let me see if I can get Brent to bring this chart up for you. I actually put this on my Twitter feed this morning. So if you follow me on Twitter, at Lance Roberts, um, you can uh, see all of my tweets that I, that I post every day. But here, let me see if I can drag this one over here real quick for Brent. One second, Brent. Uh, there we go. So maybe Brent can show you this chart here real quick. I apologize for the clumsiness of, of that. Um, but you can see going back to 1957, so what this chart shows you is three things, they, four things actually, but three things in particular. It shows you the inflation, which is the blue line, that's CPI inflation. The red line is the Fed Fund's effective rate. And the black line is the S&P 500 returns. Now, what you'll notice is, is that there were several tentative bouts of inflation prior to that big spike in the, in the late 70s, as I was saying. But here's the, the takeaway of this. Each one of these bouts of inflation ran with increases in the Fed funds rate. And each one of those events either led into a bear market, a market, uh, a market crash as in 1974, or a recession. Every time. And so those, you know, part of this, you know, problem is that yes, you know, what's going on with the markets right now because of these uh, of this pressure from the Federal Reserve to hike rates to combat inflation is weighing on the markets, as you would expect. The problem for the Fed, of course, is again, they remember what happened back in the 70s and this is their big problem that's coming up next week do i stop hiking rates or cut rates potentially to try to bail out the banking system or do i continue my rate hiking campaign to combat inflation it's the as mike and i talked about on tuesday it is the rock in the hard place if I try to bail out the banks here, which is what the media is running around, you know, talking about right now, it's like, oh, we need to cut rates. The, the, the banking system's in trouble. You know, from the Fed's view, they've solved the problem. Silicon Valley Bank is solved. Janet Yellen out this morning. Banking system is sound. Deposits will be there. Don't worry about things. Please don't make a run on banks. That's their problem. So in terms of the Fed right now, and I will certainly you know, suggest that he will, it will make a nod to the banking sector in his speech next week, saying, and he will reiterate Yellen's comments that the banking system is sound, everything is fine, at least for the moment. Because you'll remember, Ben Bernanke did the same thing. After the collapse of Bear Stearns in 2007, subprime, the subprime you know, mortgages are contained. Everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Please don't panic. Don't go sell everything. Panic is the biggest problem. And as we've talked about in the instability-stability paradox, stability leads to instability. And, and the problem is, is that you have stability, everybody gets comfortable, and then somebody pushes the big red button. And then you have instability. And this is the way it always works out through history. Right now, we have a bit of instability. And the Fed is going to make sure that they tell you that everything is fine. Don't worry about it. Please don't panic. Don't push the big red button. But there's certainly cracks in the foundation. So come next week, my expectation is, is the Fed will continue to hike rates 
They'll hike by 25 basis points. And again, this is just a guess. I don't know. But my guess is, is they're going to hike 25 basis points because if they put their if they pull their foot off the pedal now, they run the risk of inflation, particularly, as I said in the first segment, when you have a 3.2% economic growth and retail sales still remaining fairly robust right now, if you pull off the gas, you run the risk of another surge of inflation. And really, as we said, as we talked about on Wednesday show, core inflation has not come down that much. Core inflation is still very sticky, and that's what the Fed is looking at. While headline inflation has come down, core inflation has not. And core inflation X housing has actually gone up. So again, from the Federal Reserve's point of view, they're looking at inflation going, I really can't back off right now. So the bailouts that we gave to the banks, or I shouldn't say the bailouts because it wasn't a bailout, the support that we gave to the banking system should be enough for right now. Silicon Valley Bank, Circle Bank, First Republic Bank all had issues. Regional banks are under pressure. The risk to the banks really comes from the economic side of the equation. And again, the economy still remains fairly strong right now, 3.2% estimated growth by the Atlanta Fed for the first quarter. There's not a lot of risk on that side. However, the problems with the banks are going to start to cause all banks to tighten lending standards. They'd already tightened lending standards already, but they're about to get real tight. If the banks contract lending sharply, that will potentially accelerate the time between now and when the next uh, recession starts. So we'll see what happens. Okay, quick break. We'll come back. We'll pick up a little bit on this, um, you know, on, on the Fed perspective and what's going on in the markets. Don't go away. investment advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to the show this morning so again as we just kind of talk a little bit about you know, the Fed meeting next week. This is obviously what's going to be driving the markets, uh, at least momentarily. You know, this is all kind of, you know, uh, you know what we've got to kind of sort through from a risk perspective of, the, of portfolios. And this is why, look, you know, we we raised some capital, some raised some cash yesterday, uh, taking sectors out of the portfolio that are under you know, potential recession risk, which is energy, basic materials, uh, industrials. We didn't have any industrials, but, you know, uh, but those are those are areas where, you know, you're they are more cyclically tied to the economy. So, again, this is just one uh, one, one of the things that, 
you know, we're just stepping aside right now. Let this kind of this mess kind of sort itself out. And we can always add exposure back. I, you know, and again, we may very well regret raising cash yesterday in this market. All of a sudden rallies, you know, sharply over the next, you know, couple of weeks. We're back to all time highs, you know, whatever that can happen. We're going to be playing chase to, to catch up. But again, the, the risk at the moment is un, is hard to quantify in terms of which direction the market goes and what the Fed's going to do. So just I'm mean, we're just stepping aside right now. We still have equity exposure. Don't get me wrong. We just cut it back a little bit more, raise a little bit more cash. But this really kind of goes into you know the Fed meeting next week, and in particular because of this, because uh, again, you know what the Fed chooses to do is going to have a market reaction one direction or the other. If they come out and they they cut rates again, I don't see them cutting rates. But if they do. Market could go up a lot because the Fed cut rates, or it could go down a lot because, you know, is the Fed acknowledging that there's more systemic risk? See, this is the challenge for the Fed is the message, how it gets interpreted. If I hike rates, maybe that's not good for stocks, but it acknowledges strong economic growth and inflationary pressures, which suggests that, you know, the, the, the Fed's doing what they need to do. They cut rates. Well, that tells me there's too much risk in the market. So, you know, so which way are the markets going to go and how is the market going to interpret that? If they cut rates, the bond market could go haywire because now the bond market will worry that the Fed's losing control of inflation. If they don't cut rates, you know, so again, you know, you can you can spin this either direction. That's why when we're looking at portfolio risk, we're just going, I have no idea. We can all guess. And half of us will be right, half of us will be wrong. I'm just going to step aside and let y'all figure it out. And then I'll then once I know where it's going, we'll put money back to work. So, you know, that's kind of where we are. The ECB also is in the same kind of boat, um, and particularly after the Credit Suisse crisis. The ECB is making a decision that is carrying some added weight. This morning, the ECB policy announcement, which is due this morning at uh, 13.15 GMT time. So actually about 8.15 Central Time, so coming. Consensus is amid a market pricing look for a 50 basis point hike. That's probably not going to happen. That would take their deposit rate to 3%. After the bailout of the Swiss National Bank yesterday, it'll be interesting to see how the ECB responds. And this will be kind of the first good look at potentially what we see from the Fed next week. We'll, we'll, we'll see. You know, the focus is going to be over whatever clues that the ECB gives over tightening ambitions beyond March. Do they hike 50 basis points and say, we're done? So... Again, you know, there's a good bit of risk here for the ECB, just like there is in terms of the Fed. If, you know, if they if inflation is still elevated in their terms or in their view and they don't hike enough to combat inflation, inflation is the economic monster that they've got to deal with down the road. However, the more they hike rates, the more risk they run of creating a recession. The hope is right now that whatever recession they do create will be short and shallow. This is the same view as the Fed. Yeah, we may have a recession, but it'll just be short and shallow. It'll be fine. Don't worry about it. However, if they cut rates, 
how does how is the market going to take that? Are they worried about a systemic financial issue with Credit Suisse? Credit Suisse, by the way, far different than Silicon Valley Bank. Credit Suisse is what they call a SIFI, S-I-F-I. That's a systemically important financial institution. It's the Lehman Brothers. And the reason is because, A, Credit Suisse is a very, very large bank, but they have relationships with every other bank on the planet, all the other major banks, right? Credit swaps, credit default swaps, currency swaps, you name it. All those derivatives and those linkages between debt occur between Credit Suisse and J.P. Morgan and Goldman Sachs and Bank of America and so UBS and so forth and so on. So if Credit Suisse blows up, there is risk of a broader implosion of banking across the, uh, across the globe. And this is, remember, Lehman, well, you may not remember, you may not have been around, but when Lehman went belly up, it wasn't the fact that Lehman went into bankruptcy that was problematic. I mean, it was, but the reason was that Lehman had these very same linkages to all these other banks around the world. And so when Lehman went into bankruptcy, all the other banks said, whoa, I don't know who's next, so I'm not trading with anybody. And this is what's called that counterparty risk, the the counterparty, the other party to all the trades. So I've got trades on my books. Brent is the other bank that I'm trading with. And, and basically, I don't know if he's going to be around tomorrow because his wife, who's the other bank, just went under, right? So I don't know if he's next. So now I don't want to trade with him. I don't trust him to be, to be soluble in the, in, in the near future. So I don't trade with him. And so that's what happened. The entire the, What caused the collapse in the financial system following Lehman was the lack of trust between banks. Nobody wanted to trade with anybody. As soon as credit froze, that was it. And again, as we talked about before, credit is a much more important thing to the, the economy and the markets than stocks are. So that's why Credit Suisse is so, is so important in the situation. That's why it was so quick to be bailed out by the Swiss National Bank because of that systemically important financial institution, the CFI status. And this is the problem that the ECB faces right now in terms of their policy announcement because they're in the same position as the Fed. Hike, hike too much, you got problems. Don't hike enough, you've got problems. You cut rates, you've got problems. You don't do anything, potentially problems. It all depends now because now there is this concern about financial stability through the banks. And so any decision the Fed makes, it's going to be that question of, well, why are you doing this? Is it because you're worried about the banks? And that's the big risk. If the Fed does nothing and they don't cut, that they don't hike rates at all, that's going to be the immediate question. Oh, there really is problem with the banks. And so things aren't as solved as you said they were. So now I'm going to panic and, and take more money out of the markets. That's the risk. Now, again, I'm speculating. I don't know the answers. 
But this is this is that uncertainty within the markets that I'm just sitting there going, you know what, I can't deal with this, and so we're going to reduce risk in portfolios. Once we figure it out, we can always put money back to work. So anyway, that's that's kind of where we are. So you know, there again, two things to take away from this conversation today. And I'm going to switch gears when we come back. We're going to talk about ESG. But two things to take away from the conversation today is, one, don't try to speculate on what the Fed's going to do next week. Nobody knows. Two, get perspective on your portfolio. Look back at your portfolio from over the last three years. Are you better off or not over the last three years? Odds are you are, so relax. It's fine. Markets have not done anything since May. We've just been going sideways. Perspective is important. Okay. Like I said, when we come back from the break, um, I want to switch gears, talk a little bit about ESG, because it actually has something to do with Silicon Valley Bank as well. But this goes back to conversations and articles that I've been writing over the last year about this ESG investing scam that's been going on. Environmental, social, governance, you know, what are those things? How do you quantify those, et cetera, so forth and so on. But, you know, it's been great for Wall Street, not so great for investors. And we'll come back and talk about how Silicon Valley Bank was right in the middle of ESG. And while they were doing the E and the S, forgot all about the G. But Wall Street loved them for it because they were, they were the ESG show pony. Come back, talk about it right after the break and why you need to throw ESG out of your portfolio. Don't go away. news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com and welcome back to show this morning so esg environmental social governance i've written articles about this if you go to our website realinvestmentadvice.com type in esg in the search bar at the top you'll see articles we've written talking about the scam of esg and let me tell you why it's a scam first of all um and then we'll talk about how this relates back to silicon valley bank so the theory is, is that if companies are involved in ESG, which is environmental, social, and governance programs, then somehow they are better investments. And you'll remember this back in 
2020 as an example where ESG was really starting to get <clears throat> some some run as as we were all demonizing energy companies and in 2021 energy stocks were under a lot of pressure over this ESG situation and you know uh, asset managers were spinning off their energy stocks because you know they they weren't ESG friendly and you know didn't want those in the portfolio so we had to have these ESG funds etc so forth and so on of course as I warned you in late 2021, I said energy stocks are probably going to be the best performer in 2022 because they're so beaten up now. And then not only were they the best performer, they were the best performer by huge margins, huge margins. The rest of the market was down, energy stocks were up. So that certainly that right there alone took a lot of the, you know, realization. People are going, wait a second. <laughs> and as I said then, you know, we've seen this before. Back in the late 90s, it was all about sin stocks. We weren't to invest in gambling, pornography, alcohol, tobacco, you know, type companies because those were all sin stocks and those were the best performing stocks during the dot-com crash. So every time that we do this, you always have to go, well, what is it that I'm missing out on? And generally, when you know somebody's telling you not to buy something, that may be some, something that you want to start looking at buying because, again, that's just how markets work. Now, that aside, if a company is involved in ESG, that is completely their choice. And, if they, and, and I promote you know, good governance is a good thing. We should have good governance for, for companies. They should report gap earnings, not operating earnings. That would be good governance, but we don't do that. Making sure that they have adequate capital and they're not spending all of their money on share buybacks would be good governance, but we don't do that. Reporting assets and expenses as they are accrued would be good governance. We don't do that. In fact, a recent study done by the Wall Street Journal found that up to 10% of companies fudge their earnings for reporting season. Doesn't sound like good governance to me. Environmental, social, sure. Companies should be environmentally friendly. I mean, look, the environment's important, Right shouldn't pollute the streams you shouldn't pollute the air right and and for decades now we've been moving towards clean coal production clean oil production um we've done you know i grew up in the 70s where pollution was a problem right and we've cleaned all that up to a, to a huge degree i could tell you stories about the chemical plant my my father used to work at but massive changes to clean the environment those are good things those are good things the problem comes when you, uh, and that's what companies should be doing, right? Companies should be doing these environmental, environmentally conscious things. They should be doing good governance because if they were doing these things, we wouldn't have all these problems. We wouldn't have had Enron, WorldCom, Lehman Brothers, so forth and so on. So those are good things. But when it comes to investing, investing based on some ESG metric is ridiculous because it's not quantifiable. I can quantify sales and earnings and those type of things. Those are easy, reported, 
issues. I can get those numbers in gap form. But this other stuff is very nebulous. And investing on that doesn't change the dynamic. In other words, people go, well, I want to own Apple in my portfolio, not because of their products, but because they're ESG friendly, right? Apple does not know whether or not that you bought or sold their shares. It does not change the outlook about how they run their company whatsoever. Yes, they use slave labor. But other than that, you know, it is completely fine with what they do. But if I buy shares from Brent, that has no impact or bearing on the company whatsoever. They don't see that transaction. They don't know that transaction occurred. It's all held in street name. The only thing that happens is I give money to Brent. Brent gives me shares, and that's the end of that transaction. Has no impact on the economy whatsoever. Has no bearing on the company. But Wall Street was promoting these ESG funds because why? Because they could charge you four times as much for the same performance that you would get out of just buying an S&P index fund. And I've written the articles on this. BlackRock was a key leader in this. They charged four times as much for their BlackRock ESG fund that had a 99.4% correlation to the S&P 500. The only difference in the top 10 holdings of the BlackRock fund at the time that I, I wrote the article and the S&P 500 was that BlackRock stock was in the top 10, top 10 holdings of that ETF. So every time you bought the, the ETF from BlackRock for ESG, their company, their company stock, Larry Fink's stock, got a boost. Can't imagine why it was in the top 10 holdings. That's like saying I'm going to run the, the Brent Clanton beauty pageant and Brent is the only participant. Of course he's going to win. Nobody would watch it, but Brent's going to win it. Anyway, this is the problem with the SG. And so when you think about investing, throw that nonsense out the window and focus on what matters with investing. Does the company make money? Does the company have low debt or high debt? You know, Look at the metrics of the company in terms of their profitability, their cash flow, their operating margins. Are that, is that increasing or is that declining? Those are the things that matter to investing. Not whether or not they have some socially responsible progress. Now, how does this relate to Silicon Valley Bank? Article out today in Bloomberg. Hundreds of ESG members have been stung by Silicon Valley bank collapse. Bloomberg reported a new report says 915 funds registered under the EU regulations as either promoting ESG or declaring it as their objective had exposure to the bank. The bank ticks several boxes, the bank being Silicon Valley Bank, ticks several boxes for these managers, including a low-carbon footprint. They're a bank. Of course they have a low-carbon footprint. Idiocy. However, the G in ESG stands for governance, which apparently seemed to take a backseat to the E and the S, particularly as the chief risk officer of Silicon Valley Bank spent the majority of her time involved in social Programs promoting LBGTQIA+, safe space, promotion, that type of stuff for the bank, rather than focusing on risk. 
maybe if she's been focusing more on risk rather than social programs, maybe the G should have taken precedence over the S in ESG. Maybe the bank wouldn't have been in so much trouble. Sasha Bezlik, a sustainable finance veteran who's now the chief investment officer of NextGen ESE, told Bloomberg, there are a lot of lazy asset managers taking ESG scores for granted. The bank's failure was a sign that managers who go all in on carbon are not necessarily managing other risk. And this is the point. Leave that type of social narrative out of your portfolio. If you want to impact the environment, I applaud you. Go plant a tree, which converts CO2 to oxygen. If you want to invest in companies that are becoming or impacting the environment, go for it. But invest as a private investor into a company that is not public, that is solely focused on whatever it is that you deem to be of environmentally good cause. That's where you make an impact. You do not make an impact on the environment by trading stocks with another individual. In fact, if you think about it, the electricity that you use to trade that stock is actually not environmentally friendly. (laughs) So maybe your carbon footprint of trading needs to be considered in this as well. But do the things that actually impact the economy. I applaud you for that. I think you should do that. I think we should all be responsible and take care of our climate. There's nothing wrong with that, but leave it out of your investing. Because again, there is more than sufficient evidence that the ESG mantra does very little for the environment does a lot more for the managers that are choosing these funds because out of those 915 ESG funds, a lot of those funds have nothing to do with ESG investing. They were large cap funds that weren't getting inflows because of bad performance and they simply changed their name, not the holdings, to attract inflows. Oh, and I forgot, they raised the fees to charge you more. So it's important not only to know know where you're investing, but what you're investing in as well so again leave the e and the s and the g out of your portfolio and focus on the profit of it instead that wraps up the show for today be back tomorrow have a great weekend danny ratliff richard rosso here i'm out next week they're gonna be filling in for me um but following that we'll be back keeping you updated all the actions of course i will be writing and updating the website or daily market commentary so you won't miss me i'll still be there But just go to the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. We'll keep you up to date on the markets and your money. See you then.